You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with Southern California attorney, Peter Stockberger. Peter is a partner at Denton's, practicing with the firm's global employment, intelligence, and strategic services, and data privacy groups. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with Peter about the California Privacy Rights Act. The CPRA amends California's California's existing Consumer Privacy Act of 2018 and takes effect in 2023. The CPRA has serious implications for employers as it impacts how employers collect, store, and utilize important information. In this two-part episode, Peter will be sharing his expertise on the CPRA, how it amends the Consumer Privacy Act, what it requires of employers and employees, how best to prepare for these new regulations. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Peter Stockberger. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this topic. I know people are probably like, California Privacy Rights Act, but I'm so interested in this. But before we get started, could you uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, absolutely. Well, my name is Peter Stockberger. I am a partner with the law firm Dentons. Uh, For those not familiar with Dentons, Dentons is the world's largest law firm. Uh, We have an office in virtually any country that you can imagine that you're allowed to practice law in and uh, with roughly about 12,000 lawyers at this point worldwide. So we're we're pretty much everywhere. And I'm in our data privacy, cybersecurity and employment groups. So my practice really focuses on counseling employers and other organizations on that sort of unique intersection between employment law, data privacy, and cybersecurity. So this topic of California's new Privacy Rights Act, how it impacts employers is sort of right up my right up my alley. Well, it's it's interesting as we were chatting before the show, it sort of came and then it went. So it was enacted and then people just sort of went, yeah, okay, that's great. Like it didn't apply to them. But coming up in 2023, we have some pretty stringent uh, regulations coming into effect. They're going to impact the employer-employer relationship. And I'm super anxious to hear your thoughts on that. Um, Let's start out with a broad picture. Can you just kind of tell us, because every time I've attended a seminar or read about it, I get confused because there's actually two acts that you have to talk about, two pieces of legislation you have to talk about in tangent before you can actually figure out what it is you're required to do. Is that sort of accurate? It is, yeah. And I think it would be helpful for your listeners to get to step back and get a broader view of how we actually got this law, why it came to be, and really how it's going to impact employers. California for decades has been 
on the vanguard of data privacy rights in the U.S. When you think about data privacy in the U.S. generally, we do not have a federal data privacy law. So data privacy laws are really segmented. They've historically been segmented by industry. So you have healthcare privacy laws at the federal level under HIPAA. You've got financial privacy laws for banks. Then you have the FTC at the federal level that sort of governs everybody for unfair business practices. But at the state level is where you see most of the action. And California has really been a leader in that space. In the 70s, we we amended our constitution to add a right to privacy in there as an affirmative right. 2003, 2015, we adopted these new online privacy laws relating to websites and privacy policies. That's why you see everybody with a privacy policy now. California really started that trend. When you fast forward to 2018, if you'll recall, there was a whole scandal with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica about sharing data during the presidential election. And so privacy advocates said, we need to sort of revamp how privacy is handled. And they came up with what's called the California Consumer Privacy Act. That's the CCPA. And they developed it as a ballot initiative. And they got enough signatures to get it on the 2018 ballot for Californians to vote on. For those not familiar, California's got this funky system where voters, if you get enough signatures on a ballot initiative, voters can actually vote on making law. And if you pass it by a ballot initiative, it's very hard to change. You need two thirds of the legislature to overturn it or to amend it. So it's a real difficult mechanism to alter once you pass it. So when the business community got wind of this ballot initiative, they said, wait a minute, that's gonna be really tough to amend and change. So they came to a negotiated solution and they said, look, we'll agree to let this pass into law by the legislature if you agree to withdraw the ballot initiative. And that's what they did in June 2018. They wrote the law and they passed it in a matter of hours and the governor signed it. Um, And so the law passed in 2018 in June. It was all over the place. It was a bit of a mess in terms of typos. And you can imagine they put it together so quickly. So it got amended in September of 2018 And then it took a year to add all these legislative amendments. And that's where the employer piece kicks in. So you've got this CCPA. It gets signed into law in 2018. It doesn't have an effective date until January 1 of 2020. So we've got like a year and a half lead time to get ready for it. But the way it was written originally, it applied to employees, job applicants, independent contractors, all the people who employers started to freak out about because they said, This new privacy law, which gives people new rights over their privacy, this new law is going to require us to give employees basically all these broad new privacy rights. And so in that legislative amendment process in 2019, they added an amendment that largely excludes employees, job applicants, and independent contractors from the scope of the CCPA. But they left in two provisions that that currently apply. And that amendment still exists today. The law took effect on January 1, 2020, but there are two areas of the law that apply to that employee base. One is around notice, and then one is around cybersecurity. And so if, you know, for a takeaway for your listeners right now, the law that's in effect today, that, that's been in effect since January 1, 2020, and that began being enforced in July 2020, that law has two provisions that apply to employees and job applicants and contractors. The first is that if you're a covered employer, and we can talk about what it means to be a covered employer, but if you're a covered employer, 
you have to provide that group of people notice at or before the point you collect their information. And that notice has to be delivered to them in a way that is user-friendly, is easy to understand, is delivered in a way that they'll actually encounter it before they give you their information. So think onboarding, think job application, receipt process. And that notice has to explain what you're collecting and how you're going to use it. You know, it's pretty straightforward. Um, it's not a consent requirement. It's a notice requirement. So it's an important feature that I think a lot of folks overlook uh, because there's a variety of ways you can imagine that you collect employee information, onboarding. Think about right now, if you're returning people to the workplace and you're collecting vaccination proof, that's a new data point you're collecting that would require new notice to the employees. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a simple requirement, but it's got a lot of sort of complicating factors. But, and you know, I want, I want to pause there to, to maybe see if you have any questions. Yeah, let me ask you. So I got a couple of questions. So first off, are, as far as the notice part of that goes, are employers behind the times if they're not complying with this now? Technically, yes. So the law took effect January 1, 2020. If you're a covered business under the law and you have not been providing notice, then you've been, you're not in compliance. But what does that mean? I mean, what's the risk right now of non-compliance? Right. That, that notice provision for employees can only be enforced by the attorney general's office. There's no private right of action, meaning you can't be sued for it by an employee. The attorney general's office can only bring an enforcement action against you once they've given you notice of non-compliance and they've given you 30 days to cure non-compliance. So there's a cure period. And what we've heard from the attorney general's office so far is they have not filed a single enforcement action yet in court against anyone. They've had 100% compliance on their non-compliance letters. And I have had several clients who've gotten these emails that said, hey, you're missing this, you fix it, they move on. And they've publicly said to their credit, the AG's office has said, they're not trying to play gotcha, they're trying to get everybody into a privacy mindset to help them comply with the law. So right now, I don't get any sense that the employee side is the focus of the AG's office. I think what they're focused right now is the consumer side, the low-hanging fruit of direct-to-consumer businesses, e-commerce, missing links, missing opt-out links, the employee notice side, I have not heard any focus from the AG's office, so it wouldn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me when I see organizations say, well, we haven't been focused on that employee notice because with, with a lack of overall enforcement happening, it's hard to make that sort of a priority. But it is a, I think it's a pretty straightforward compliance requirement. I don't think it's a heavy lift for employers to do. So to me, it's a, if you are a covered business, it's sort of a no-brainer to get those notices issued. And even if you haven't issued them yet, I'd say issue them now, you know, get, get a notice out and you can frame it in a way that's, you're being privacy-minded, you're being, you know, it's to the benefit of the employee to receive the notice. So, um, but yeah, technically the law has been in effect since January. So you want to, you want to get on it if you're a covered business. All right. Well, we're just about at our halfway point. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. Uh, more with Peter about the California Privacy Rights Act. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. 
Or if that resume was from someone who worked 12 hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals, but I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Southern California attorney Peter Stockberger about the California Privacy Rights Act. Peter, I want to ask you a little bit. You mentioned it's a attorney general action. Does that mean it's PAGA eligible? It's not. So when you read PAGA, so PAGA, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's called the Private Attorney Generals Act. And it's a law that essentially deputizes employees throughout the state to sue their employers on behalf of the labor commissioner. Uh, in California and seek civil penalties for violations of the labor code. So it's a civil enforcement action that an employee can bring on behalf of the state. And if you recover those penalties as the employee, you get to keep 25% of the recovery, 75% goes to the state. The PAGA statute only applies to violations of the labor code. So you can only bring an action to get penalties for violations of the labor code. Right now, the way the CCPA is written, which the CCPA is in the civil code, it's civil code section 1798.100 at sec, you know, goes on. So it doesn't apply to PAGA as it stands down because it's civil code. But, um, and I've been sort of waiting to see if the AG is not enforcing the law, I wouldn't be surprised if some entrepreneurial plaintiffs group lobbies to turn the CCPA into a deputized PAGA statute as well. So, you know, never say never, but at the, at the point right now, it's not subject to PAGA. That's good. Well, maybe we can get PAGA amended before that happens. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole nother show. That's a whole don't, different. Don't give anyone any ideas. <laughs> no, I mean amended the other way. <laughs> oh, right. PAGA's not my favorite, uh, not my favorite action. There's one uh, similarity between the CCPA and PAGA, though, that might be of interest is in that in PAGA, you can't, um, if you have an arbitration agreement with your employees, you can't force right. people to arbitrate PAGA claims. Right. Similarly, the CCPA has a provision that says you cannot have anybody waive their rights under the CCPA. And so the, there's a private right of action under the CCPA, which means employees do have the right to sue their employer in a very narrow circumstance. And that's if there's a negligent data breach. So if the employer does not maintain reasonable security around their employee's data, so you can imagine Employee data has a lot of sensitive information, social security, bank account information, health information. If there's a data breach on the employer side and it's deemed unreasonable under California standard, then employees have a right to sue under the CCPA and seek statutory damages, which basically means they don't have to prove injury, um, which is, you know, can, can be a big hook for liability. And the CCPA says you can't have people waive their rights. So we haven't seen it tested yet, but you could see similar challenges in the future in court to say, you can't force me to arbitrate a CCPA claim because it's 
you're it's technically waiving. So you do you see some similarities between PAGA and CCPA in that language, but otherwise they're pretty distinct. Interesting. Well, I want to go down a bit of a bunny trail with that. So what would be, without getting too overly technical, so what's considered reasonable? So you're looking at all kinds of ranges of business on, on tech, right? So you've got small businesses who are small, you know, small to medium-sized businesses who are enough to be covered. Um, and well, let me back that up. So put a pin in that. Who's a covered employer? So the CCPA only applies to what's called a business. And the definition of a business is if you are for-profit, so if you're a nonprofit, you're not covered. So you can exclude yourself. If you're for-profit and you're collecting the personal information of California residents and you meet one of three thresholds, the first is a monetary one. If you have gross annual revenue in excess of 25 million U.S., and that can be anywhere in the world, not just California, then you're covered. If you don't hit that gross revenue threshold, the 25 million, then you then it, the law says, are you collecting the personal information of 50,000 or more California residents annually? You know, that sounds like a big number, but if you have a website and you are collecting IP addresses or other technical information tied to an individual or a house, that really only works out to 137 unique website visitors daily, which is not a lot if you're mm-hmm. if you've got a website with any traffic. If you don't hit that 50,000 number, the last threshold is, do you derive 50% or more of your gross revenue from selling data? So that really addresses data brokers, people who are in the business of selling data in the advertising space. Um, So those are the three thresholds. If you don't meet that definition, there's a second definition. And that is, if you are controlled by somebody who meets that first definition. So think parent subsidiary and you share common branding. In that case, then you could still be brought into the law. So that's the coverage determination. And before you do anything, send out employee notices, update your privacy policy, make that determination first, whether you're covered. Because there are some complicating facts that go into it. You know, the gross revenue question, the 50,000 employee question. So get that question answered first, get comfortable with that answer before you take any compliance steps. Okay, so... Just a little bit on that before we go back to the reasonable issue. Where does the, all of that, and because we're talking about the Consumer Privacy Rights Act, we're not talking yet about the the amendment, right? We're talking about the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act. The CPRA, which is the one you just mentioned, that is the amendment. Yeah, the acronyms will kill everybody. I know, that's what gets me so confused. So, but talking about consumer, so I guess what's confusing is, when you talk about the consumer rights, it in my mind, it always goes to, well, if I'm dealing with consumers, that's fine. But how does that impact me as an employer? Because the definition of consumer is any California resident. Ah. It, doesn't dist- it doesn't distinguish between people purchasing a product. So technically, the definition of consumer includes an employee, a job applicant, an independent contractor, so long as they meet the definition of California residency under the tax code. And that means people outside of the state who are outside for a transitory purpose, like a college student or military person, they're still technically covered, even though they may be living in Illinois. So it's California residency is the test, but employees and job applicants have a special legislative exemption from 90% of the law. They're, they're just covered under the notice provision and the security provision. Okay. So I want to go back to the reasonableness on the 
on the IT, you know, on the data security. So if I meet these thresholds, if I'm a covered employer, which I could be a relatively small to medium-sized business and do that, um, what does that look like? Again, without getting too technical. Yeah, so the, the statute just uses the word reasonable. It doesn't define the word reasonable, of course, because that would be too helpful. Uh, and then that, and that would put me out of a job. And so what we do is we, we look to, there's other areas of California law that use the word reasonable when it comes to security. And there's a report from 2016 from then Attorney General Kamala Harris, who said in that report, when she was reviewing the state of data breaches in California, she said at the time, reasonableness in California at a baseline is compliance with what's called the CIS controls, the Center for Internet Security Controls. And it's a cybersecurity framework that is free to download if you go to the CIS controls. And it's basically a spreadsheet of 200 sub controls. You know, do you have a password policy? Do you limit people's access to databases? And you can measure yourself against that control framework and really do an assessment of how reasonable are we when it comes to our employees' data measured against this concrete framework. And the framework's not static, so it's adjustable based on your sophistication as a business. There's sort of tier one, tier two, tier three. So if you're a startup or a new business with not a lot of resources, you're sort of in the tier one bucket. So it's it's flexible. Um, it, it is a complicated framework. It can be a complicated analysis, but baseline reasonable, if I were going to tell anybody where to start, start with that framework. Start looking at how you're securing your employee, your job applicant data when job applications come in, your contractor data when you're, when you're onboarding a new contractor. Measure it against that framework, and that'll tell you pretty quickly where you stand from an exposure standpoint under the CCPA. All right. Well, that's a good tool. I'm glad it's a, you know, that there's a free, you know, aspect to that, that people can go out and measure, like you said, and kind of get their, get their arms around it a little bit. Um, in just the last few minutes, as we go, um, as we wrap up this one part, the uh, first part of our two-part series, any thoughts, any, any hints you want to give people about this, uh, you know, about the, the notice or uh, the security aspects? Yeah, I would say if you're in the HR department or you are working with an HR department, I would ask the question, have we determined whether we're a covered business under the CCPA? If not, let's make that decision. Let's look at that. And if we are, are we doing the right notices right now? Um, and, you know, it's a, because I think it's a simple lift if you're not currently doing it. If you are currently doing it, ask yourself, are our notices accurate? Are we collecting any pieces of data that might kind of fall out of this notice, like vaccination records, like temperature screening, like health screening for people coming back in from COVID? Is that in your notice? If not, you know, that has to be updated regularly. So develop a process. Think I think privacy for employees is the trend in the U.S. So it will be the law in the U.S. eventually that employees are entitled to a privacy policy, to privacy rights. So start thinking now about being progressive towards your employees' privacy. Get ahead of it. Develop some policies and procedures. Build a system in place where you can address those concerns, address the new legal developments. And that way you won't be scrambling when the new amendment comes down or there's a federal law that comes down that applies to employees. So it can be a little daunting at first, but really if you take it in bite-sized pieces and think about it in these sort of modules, think about whether you're covered, think about your notice, think about security, um, it's all quite doable. And I think uh, in the end, it'll, it'll help businesses not only protect themselves, 
but it's a positive message to employees that you're concerned with their privacy and their, their data rights. That's great. Thank you so much, Peter. That's our show for today. I want to thank you so much for joining me and sharing your thoughts and your expertise with our listeners. It's really appreciated. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Be sure to join us for our follow-up episode where Peter and I will continue our discussion of the California Privacy Rights Act and the implications of its 2023 effective date. You can learn more about Peter by visiting www.dentons.com en peter Stockburger. You can also connect with Peter via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, Workplace Perspectives, Team Extraordinaire, Engineer and Producer, Paul Roberts, our Associate Producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar. Keep raising the bar.